And I told my son, if there's one thing I could go back and change in my life, it wouldn't have been me sleeping around on his mom. It wouldn't have been stopping the abuse of my abuser, in which my son was shocked to hear that. It wouldn't have been uh, the divorce. I said, if I can go back and do one thing different, this is my advice I'm giving to the listeners out there. I would go back to that 12-year-old and say, open your mouth and tell somebody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I am extremely honored to bring my guest today, Dr. Joe Martin. Dr. Joe Martin is spiritually focused and a certified builder of men. His life story can be summarized in one simple sentence. He went from rags to riches to ruin to redemption. Having it all by age 30, losing it all by age 40, and gaining it back by age 50, now hosting the number one rated podcast for Christian men on Apple Podcasts. Simply put, he's passionate about helping men win. The truth is almost every man wants to be a great husband, an awesome father, and successful provider for his family. But most men are secretly frustrated or afraid of failing in their role as family leaders, because deep down inside, most of us don't know how to be the men we desperately desire to be, because more than likely, we didn't have the right man in the home to teach us. And he was one of those men. As the product of a single teenage mother, Dr. Joe Martin successfully survived abject poverty, sexual and physical abuse, father abandonment, anger, depression, rejection, and addiction by graduating from college. First generation, top of the class at age 20, starting his first business at age 22, becoming a university professor at age 24, youngest in history of the state of Florida, earning his doctorate degree at 28, and writing two books by age 30, only to lose it all seven years later due to his addiction to pornography and sex. Dr. Joe Martin has now dedicated his life to helping men, husbands, and fathers write their own comeback stories, or at least prevent them from having a right one at all. He's appeared on more than 75 podcasts, including Knowledge for Men, Moody Radio, Dad Tired, Men in the Arena, Right to Real Love, professionally spoken to more than 152,000 men across the country, personally coached and mentored more than 190 men and have personally interviewed more than 475 men on his podcast who have similar comeback stories like his own. Dr. Joe Martin provided men with proven practical strategies that guarantee to help them win at what matters and frustrates him the most as a man from purpose to porn, from achievement to abuse, from communication to conflict, and from faith to failure. He has equipped and empowered men with the confidence to take on life and win the battles they fight every day as men. You can find Dr. Joe Martin on realmenconnect.com. That's www 
realmenconnect.com. Ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, please enjoy my episode with Dr. Joe Martin on the Sober is Dope podcast. Thank you. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. I have a really exciting guest for you, ladies and gentlemen. I have Dr. Joe Martin here today. Dr. Joe is a phenomenal individual, as you heard through his extensive bio that we just read. This man has a lot. He helps men all around the world. He helps individuals find their true worth and purpose. I love him. He's a God-fearing man. I'm glad we connected today. Dr. Joe, how are you feeling today? Pop, I am super pumped and excited to be on your show today, man. I am, and I'm, I'm excited about meeting you, man, because we've been corresponding, but finally to meet you in the flesh, where well, I say, well, virtual flesh, right? right. <laughs> see each other. It's great, man. So I'm excited. I'm hoping that we can bring a lot of value to your listeners today. Thank you so much. Well, the first thing that stood out to me, Doc, that really was beautiful was how your story went from rags to riches to ruined to redemption. Right. So it's kind of like this twofold transfer transformational process, which I think is so beautiful because I could totally relate to that. Like in my story, I went from, you know, getting out of college, getting into real estate, making all of this money, losing it because of the market crash. As a result, just kind of like losing my grip, lost the relationship through depression and stuff leaned on addiction. That totally made my whole life crumble. So I went from like a riches to rag story there, had mm-hmm. to get on my knees, give my life back to God, right? After I was ruined and a redemption came for me, surrendering my life back to God. And that's why we're here eight years later doing Sober is Dope. And I could relate to your story a lot, especially as a young man. Um, I was going through this in my 20s, going into my my late 20s, going into my early 30s. It was just a lot going on. So I would like you to tell us your story and how you came from rags to riches, ruined to redemption, and how we have you here today uh, as a brilliant doctor as you are. You know, and you kind of hit it right on the head, Pop, because a lot of us can relate to that story. My story is not um, totally unique. It's not unique at all. Um, I've just been able to put alliteration with it to rags to riches to ruin to redemption because right. it's easy to to outline the chapters in my life that way. And so what I'll do is I'll just kind of give you the ESPN version of it. Okay. And then if you want to unpack any parts of those stories, whether it be the rags part, the riches part, the ruin part or the redemption, um, that's what I'm here on the show to do today for you. So the rags started where I grew up, up in one of the toughest um, inner city ghettos in Miami, Florida, in a place called Liberty City. Um, if that name sounds familiar, it depends on how old your audience is, uh, male or female. They need if they want to know, get a reference point is if they're over. I say if they're over 40, well, if they're, yeah, if they're over 45, if they know about two live crew, okay, <laughs> then, then they've right. heard of Miami, yeah, Liberty right. City in Miami. Right. If they're younger than that and they've heard of um, um, Grand Theft Auto, the video game. Then, so if they're younger than uh, 45, then they probably heard of Grand Theft Auto, Liberty City in in Miami. But if they're over the age of 45, two lot crew is what kind of um, help us stand out. But for people who are not from the inner city, what they recognize Miami with is the glamour and glitz of being a celebrity, South Beach and all the other stuff, which I never even saw as a kid because I didn't even know we had a beach, even though I know we're on the ocean. (laughs) I never got to see it because I grew up in such a sheltered community. And my mom was a teenage mother at the age of 16. She had two kids by the time she was 17 with no man. 
My dad left when I was only two years old. So you can imagine all the things that are, that I'm exposed to at that time. The stuff that's typical for kids who are growing up in the inner city, um, drugs, alcohol, addiction, you name it, violence. Um, I lost six of my friends while I was 16 years old. And that'll kind of get get you in your head after a while if you go to at least one funeral. But if you go to six of them and all the caskets are small, that'll mess you up. And so that's the um, the oh, it also included abuse as well. I was um, abused by the only male figure who really meant anything to me in my life because my dad wasn't there and he sexually abused me for three years. And I didn't know that was the beginning of the rest of my life because I still allowed that past to take me into my future. Now, I used it to propel me when I got to the the richest part. Because of my pain and my trauma, I was suicidal from 12 to um, graduating from high school. Well, I say with 12 to 16 because I had uh, an encounter with God at 16, but that's another story. (laughs) But 12 to 16, um, suicide ideation, just thinking about it constantly. But I used the fire from my past to say, you know what, I'm going to be an overachiever. And that's exactly what I became. I was the first person in my family not only to go to college, but to graduate from college early at the top of my class, my university class. Out of 10,000 students, I was voted student of the year. Um, I graduated at the age of 20, um, bought my first house when I was a senior in um, college, never rented and never rented. Um, Started my first business at 22, a clothing store at 22. Um, became the youngest professor ever had to teach in the state of Florida at the age of 24. Had my doctor degree before, um, by the time I was 28. And I can keep going on and on and on. Worked for the Florida governor's office as communications director when I was 26. And so all this, I thought, was kind of suppressing the pain of my past. Because I didn't tell anybody about what I had overcome. I just knew I made it out. I was able to buy my mom a home a year after I graduated from college. Oh, by the way, you can't see me on the screen, but I'm five foot nothing and 100 nothing. I didn't play a sport. I didn't know how to tell jokes. I didn't dance. I couldn't rap. I did this all on sheer determination and drive and desperation. And so I became an inspiration based on the fact I didn't have the scholarships to the university to play sports because we had a lot of kids in Miami going and getting D1 scholarship. That wasn't me. I wasn't even smart. (laughs) So I got turned down by 30 colleges before I got into a community college. And so all this came from sheer grit and determination. And so even though I said it was the richest story, I wasn't a millionaire, but based on where I started, when we were, my sister used to steal food to feed us, I would be considered a millionaire because I was making more money than I ever dreamed of making in my life and was able to help out the people important to me. So that was the rags part, but I still didn't deal with the pain of my past. So we get into the ruin part in which when I got married at the age of 22 um, to my, um, um, my teenage sweetheart, who was a virgin when she met me. And we were the match made in heaven, perfect marriage, had a kid and everything. But when it got down to becoming a husband and a father, I didn't have the tools. I knew what I did want to be because I knew the hustlers and the gangbangers and the drug dealers from my community. I didn't want to be them, but I was trying to move away from what I didn't want to be, but I didn't have a picture of what I wanted to be. And you can't, you can't move through life looking at the sides of your mirrors, the side mirrors, or looking in the rear view. You got to look forward. But I didn't have anything to look forward to. So I thought if I just made enough money, achieve enough status, impressed a lot of folks, who wouldn't be happy with me as a husband? Well, my wife needed more than that when I was married to her. She needed more than that. And I couldn't give it to her. I was ill-equipped. And I did not tell her about the abuse, the abandonment issues, all the stuff I went through. I kind of suppressed that because she didn't need to know about all that. I'm a new person now. This is what you married. But she also married a wounded man. Well, I say a wounded male because I wasn't a man yet. 
And when I dealt with, when I had to deal with the issues, the real issues of life, I wasn't equipped. And so I dabbled, I put that in air quotes, they can't see that, dabbled in porn because no such thing as dabbling porn. That's like trying a little crack. You can't do that that way. So I dabbled in porn in which became a full-fledged addiction. And the worst thing you do, and you know from being um, addicted to alcohol, that the worst thing you can do to give an addict is money and give them means. Right. Because he's going to try to go for that higher high and get more and get exposed to more. So that's exactly what I had. So my money gave me access to places I didn't even know existed in America when it came to sex. And I became a full-blown sex addict and a serial adulterer. And now that phrase doesn't exist, so don't even try to Google it. There's no such thing as a serial adulterer. But I, I had to coin that phrase because I, I needed to paint a realistic picture of how bad I was. And they said, why do you call it a serial adulterer? Because a serial killer is a person who kills so many people that they even lose track of the bodies. Where did I bury that body? That buried here. Well, a serial adulterer, and there are people out there like me. So I'm not, I just made up the term, but I'm not the only person. Right. There's people out there who are serial adulterers where we've lost track of the bodies mm. of all the people we've had sex with. That if a person claimed that they had sex with us, I would have to take their word for it because I wouldn't remember. And I wasn't, I didn't drink alcohol, I didn't take drugs, I did all this sober. So that tells you how messed up my head and my heart was. So that obviously a woman who I just who I met, who we courted for four years throughout college, I marry her and I do this to her. And she saved herself for me for marriage and I ruined her life. You know what she's thinking? I'm out of here. I can't do this. And do you blame her? Because when she started asking you the number of women and she's going over 100, you say, I know it's more than that. And she keeps going up and you're hoping she stops mentioning numbers because you don't want her to get closer to the real number. That makes me a serial adulterer. And so she left after 16 years of marriage. I couldn't blame her, but I was upset because I tried to fight for the marriage. I tried to save it. But it's hard for a woman to get that out of her head when her husband has betrayed her that much. And so that was my ruined part. And to the point that my life was pretty much over because I'm thinking not only I knew God could save me and redeem me, but I asked myself, Pop, who would want me? What woman would want me after this? Because it's not like I can go on a date and somebody's not asking me about it. What happened to your 16-year marriage? And what woman wants to know that she was with a man who claimed to love God, but has committed adultery hundreds and hundreds of times um, on a woman that he claimed to love and he had a covenant with? So I thought my life was over, but I, I fully surrendered my life to Christ because when you know, when you hit rock bottom, sometimes you need to realize that God's the rock at the bottom. Right. I, like I couldn't that. go any lower. Well, maybe I could, but I didn't want to find out how low I could go. <laughs> So I finally cried out to God like David did and said, God, okay, I deserve worse than what I have, which is I have nothing. I deserve worse than that. But God, from this point forward, I will continue to serve you and you alone. And I don't care if I ever get married again. I'm going to focus on you and putting you first. Well, I did that and never expected anything to come out of it. But I met a man who discipled me, a first man who ever discipled me and showed me how to be a follower of Jesus Christ, showed me how to be a a husband and a father. He was a husband at that time. Howard probably had maybe about 25 years under his belt in marriage, but he had eight children. So he knew a little bit about parenting. And I was so impressed with him. And I asked him, would he take me under his wing? And he discipled me and showed me how to be a man for the first time. And I was in my late 30s. So I didn't know I was. Up until that point, I was just a a successful male, but I was a failure as a man. He shows me how to be a father, shows me how to be a husband. I ended up meeting a woman. God redeemed me, restored me. And now I lead other men. I now run an organization that we disciple men. Because Howard told me when I asked him, what can I do to repay him? Um, He says, 
one thing. I said, what's that? He says, make disciples. Nice. Go share what you've learned with others. And so you can help those guys who were like you, who were ABT, ain't been taught. <laughs> right. Show them how they can become the men, the husbands, and the fathers that God has called and created them to be. So we created a ministry, an organization that is designed to help men win at what matters and frustrates them the most as husbands, as fathers, as spiritual leaders of their home. And also we're doing it so for the women who love them because women are waiting for their men to step up as husbands and fathers. But what women don't know is that we don't have a clue on how to do it if we weren't shown and we weren't taught. How do you expect somebody to speak Japanese if they were never taught Japanese? Right. You would have some patience, but I feel sorry for women because they don't know because we won't admit we have no clue. I don't care if he's 30. I don't care if he's 40. I don't care if he's 50. You want to know who's the blueprint for his manhood. And if he doesn't have a blueprint, what is he following? Who is he following? Who is he listening to? Who's helping him out when he gets stuck on stupid? And so we help that. these men grow in those areas. So that's how I went from rats to riches to ruin to redemption. I'm in the redemption phase right now. And we help a men, disciple men for Christ. I love that so much. I mean, what you're doing is like the version of the sponsors at Alcoholic Anonymous, helping addicts thrive in recovery, right. by following the steps. And I'm so fascinated. I want to tr- go back a little bit sure. to the trauma part, mm-hmm. because is the trauma from your childhood abuse? Was that did you want to um, connect that or link that to the addiction of the pornography and the serial adultery? Yeah. Now you see how fast you connected it, right? I was right. a bit slow. Here I am with a PhD. I couldn't figure that out. That okay. it was connected <laughs> until I was late until I had to go through counseling. Right. And because, you know, especially in the African-American community, when we are faced with our trauma, we're typically taught not to put the family business out in the street and to kind of suppress this stuff. But what you don't express can oppress you. And right. so I didn't talk about it. But when I got into counseling, I realized it was connected. And this is something shocking for any man or woman struggling with any type of sex addiction or pornography addiction. It's not the porn. Right. It's not the sex. Uh, I venture to say that, Pop, it wasn't the alcohol. OK, that was just our choice of medication <clears throat> right. we chose to deal with the pain of our trauma. So but I can specifically. Yes, it was directly attached to that. But I can specifically tell you what was going on. Because of my abuse, because I don't even blame the abuser anymore. What I blame is what I allowed the abuser to steal from me Mm. that he didn't even that I that I had to give him. He couldn't even take it. I had to give it to him, which was I let what he did to me for three years. I was abused, sexually abused, but I let what he did to my body. I let him do to my soul. And because of my soul, I let him do to my soul. I started thinking I'm less than. I'm not good enough. I would never be accepted. Why would somebody do this to me if it wasn't my fault? If something was wrong with me, I must be doing something wrong. God must not like me. All these things are building my identity, a false identity. Right. But because of that identity, that's why I started to achieve because I thought maybe if I could rewrite the script to define myself outside of what happened to me based on my achievements and my accomplishments. Well, here's the transition. The problem was I can achieve until the cows come home. But God never meant for me to find my identity in what I do. He wanted me to find my identity in who he is and what he says about me. And the problem was I didn't believe that I was his beloved, that I was his adopted, that I was a new creature in Christ, that 
I was his chosen one that we separated even before he knew me before in my mother's womb that he had hand selected me and had great and mighty things planned for me. And that's why we go to addictions a lot because we're looking to medicate and suppress the noise of something telling us something that we're not. In other words, I, I know from going through recovery for seven years, you never allow somebody to call you something that God doesn't call you. And I know I'm going to get everybody mad at me when I say this, Pop, but you asked right. me on the show and I'm going to keep it 100. Yes, yes. You know, my life changed when I was in my recovery group, when I stopped saying, "My name, hey, my name is Joe and I'm a sex addict. Wow. I stopped saying that. Gotcha. Here's what I said. I said, hi, my name is Joe and I'm a sinner saved by grace. Mm. Here's what I used to do. Nice, nice. Follow like me. That. See, I'm not, I'm not what I did. I'm who I am. And right. if and, and I can't say I'm I know why we do it. They're not doing it in ill intent. They're doing it because they want us to accept responsibility. The 12 steps. You got to accept responsibility for your addiction. I get that part. But if I died tonight and I stood before God, is God gonna say, Welcome to heaven, you sex addict, you who was in recovery? Right. Or he's going to accept you as his beloved son who was saved by grace in his mercy. I love it. And so that changed everything. It was two years into my recovery when I changed the way I introduced myself. And now I'm celebrating now 16 years of sobriety. Congratulations. 16 years. And it has, and people say, what did you do? There was a lot of things I quote did, but I'm telling you, the main thing that changed everything for me is when I decided to start calling myself what God called me. My identity, my identity changed everything else. The behavior followed. I love it. We have we have um, in 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 my life, I learned about something called the vital spiritual experience. Right. That one experience that usually helps the addict find their path to recovery. Mine's was when I told you I was eight years ago when I realized my life has hit. So it was total rock bottom. I just literally Felt like evil had me. I was captured. I was like totally being dragged down to a living form of hell. And I got on my knees and I just had this revelation. that I had to surrender, and give my life back to God. Um, they say also a psychic change can enact a DNA change. Sometimes a spiritual change can enact a psychic change, but it enacts this DNA change that causes us to miraculously transform and be healed. Like today, I don't have no desire for alcohol. And I used to drink like a fish, right? Mm-hmm. But I would have, my pain transform me and God's grace also transformed that pain. So I was able to beat the trauma and be whole today through God. And I'm not afraid to say it. That's the origin of my story. How did you find, like you, you said that how you dealt with the trauma, how you dealt with the serial adultery and the uh, sex addiction, you found Jesus. How, how did you come into Jesus and how did, how did that look as the vital spiritual experience for you. Well, and this is sad to say, um, but we're keeping it real. I was already saved when I was doing this. I knew okay. who Jesus was. Okay. Um, but I but I knew about him, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. Right. And so I had a head knowledge of Jesus, but I didn't have a, a heart transformation of Jesus. All right. And so, because um, I went, I started going to church when I was a kid. My mom made us go to church. I got right. baptized and I was saved. Okay. And so I went through this um this this religion, but not being rooted in a relationship. And so um, it's not like I had to give my life to Christ again. What I had to do is 
re-examine my relationship with Christ and ask yourself, you know, everybody's, oh, you know, God. Yeah. But what kind of relationship do you have with him? Is it a dating relationship? Is it a one night stand or Uh, is it a marriage? (laughs) And I, and I, God requires a marriage. He says, no, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I don't, you think it'd be hotter than cold. cold. Right. Um, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And so I wanted to get married to God. And I didn't know what that looked like. I, I, I knew that I needed something deeper. I knew I needed a real relationship. That's why the turning point for me was when I met Howard. Howard Mintz, this, the guy who I told you about, I told you about, because he didn't hit me over the head with a Bible. But okay. when I was in his presence, I watched how his wife responded to him. Those eight kids, how they looked up to him and they respected him. And I couldn't understand because I made more money than this man. I had more clout. I had a, a bigger following, a bigger platform. I had written some books. This guy was, quote, just a school teacher with a stay-at-home wife who's taking care of kids. And he didn't, there was nothing that seemed impressive about him to me. But I noticed something that he had stuff that I didn't have. He had something that money couldn't buy. Mm. He had a peace. Peace, there we he, go. He, he had joy. He wasn't striving and trying to get to the next thing. But yet his wife has been married to him at that time over 20 years, looking at him as if they were childhood sweethearts. Wow. His children, five boys, three girls, and they're, yes, ma'am. They loved their dad. They're hugging on him. And matter of fact, the way I met him was through his son, who asked me to sign one of my books to him. And the reason why it stood out to me, because no one had ever asked me to sign a book for their father before, ever. Right. And if you know, being an author, you sign a lot of books right. and, you know, you get the funny names, yeah. you know, and get you know, how do I pronounce that? Oh, sign it this way. But not one person up to that time had ever and still to this point has never asked me to sign a book to their dad. So I asked the young man, who in the world is your dad? Right. I've never had anybody ask me to sign it. And he told me who his dad was. And I said, wow. I said, where does he live? He said, and it was at a university. I was lecturing at a university. He says, um, he's here in Miami. I was, I was back at home in Miami. Okay. I said, man, I'm from Miami. He said, yeah, I know I heard from your story. I said, um, so what does your dad do for a living? See, we always ask that. Let me put a pause right there. Okay. See, men attach value to what we do. Right. Not who we are. That's the problem. Problem number one. I right. said, what does your dad do? He said, oh, he's a school teacher. I said, well, I used to be a school teacher. I said, uh, where does he teach? I'm from Miami. He says, oh, he teaches at Horace Mann Middle School. I said, wait a minute. That's in Liberty City. I'm from Liberty wow, City. Wow. He said, yeah, I know. I said, but you're white. Wow. I said, is your dad white? <laughs> That's what I asked him. Is your dad white? <laughs> he says, why are you asking? I said, there's no white people in Liberty City. He said, yeah. my dad, we don't live in Liberty City, but my dad volunteers to teach in Liberty City. I'm like, wow. why? That's the worst middle school in Miami. Right. Right. He says, I know. I said, so what does your dad teach? What subject does he teach? He said, oh, he doesn't teach a subject. He is. He's in charge of indoor suspension. Wow. I said, wait a minute. Your white dad (laughs) is at a predominantly black school at the worst middle school in Miami. And he's teaching and he's working with the worst kids at the school. I said, dude, your dad. He said, yeah, man. He said, he's an incredible guy. Now you see why I went. I said, I gave him my card. I said, man, please keep in contact. I didn't tell him to give it to his dad. Please keep in contact with me because I want to know where you're going to end up in life. He said, why are you asking me that? I said, because for you to have a dad like that and you ask me to sign a book to him, dude, you're going to go places. And I just want to keep tabs on you. I want to give this card to kids who don't have dads, 
who need right. mentors and role models. Right. I'm just nosy and I'm just curious where in the world you're going to end up. And so he kind of looked at me funny and didn't think anything about it. But he gave his dad my card and his dad called me two weeks later. Howard called me two weeks later and asked me because I, I was living in Tallahassee, Florida. He says, my son told me about you. And he says, um, what can I do to get you to come down here to speak to the kids at my school in Liberty City? I said, just an invitation. He said, but I heard you get paid to do this. I said, sir, I've spoken all over the world, all over the country. I've never been back to Liberty City. I've been to Miami dozens of times, but Liberty City has never asked me to come speak. And he couldn't believe it. I said, I will pay my own way to come down there to speak. And it changed my life because I got to live with him for five days. Oh, man. And that was that road to Damascus experience for me. I love it. Because five Uh, days living with him, I watched him around his wife and his kids. You can't fake it for five days, Pop. You can't. No, you can't. You can't fake praying over your children, praying with your kids, having um, devotionals, having dinner together. You can't fake that. Right. And I'm looking at this guy thinking, I have so much more than him, but I have nothing compared to him. What is going on? And when he took me back to the airport after those five, because, oh, he, by the way, he took me to 16 schools in Liberty City, not just wow, his school. Wow, OK, I didn't have a voice by the time I left that place. Man. <laughs> but he took me around and it was the greatest experience of my life still to this moment as a speaker. That was still the greatest moment of my life, speaking there for 16 places for free. Yes. Because it made my life have meaning. But when he was right. taking me back to the airport, he gave me this bag full of books and CDs and DVDs and all this other stuff. And I told him, I said, hey, I started crying. I said, he said, what are you crying for? I said, I never had a man teach me this stuff. He was telling me how to be a husband, how to be a father, all this stuff. Right. Resource. Because he didn't think he was ever going to see me again. Yeah. So, But he knew from spending all that time with me, this dude is smart, but he ain't that smart. There's right. a lot of things he doesn't know about right. Being a, a husband, being a father, being a leader. Yes. And he gave that to me and I started crying. I said, I know you got eight kids, but would you adopt just one more? Wow. And he's been my spiritual father for the last 16 years. And what a coincidence. I've been sober that long. Amazing, man. You know, so it. that was my road to the masses experience. I love this. Now, I, I'm, I'm itching to learn about from your perspective and through your teachings, how do one become a man how do one find that in themselves? What does it look like? What some of the general tools that we need? Because a lot of the people in the sober store community is coming out of addiction. They lost their family. They're trying to regain the, the trust of their family, both men, both women, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a person that's at rock bottom that may not have a role model, and they're dealing with trauma and pain, which led them to their addiction. And now that they're going through the recovery process, they have to pick up the pieces and start over again. What are some of the tools and what does it look like for them to be a real healthy adult, to be grown um, and to be a pillar of society and to start rebuilding their life? You know, what, that's a, a, a loaded question, but it's a great question. And we actually, because it's so important what you're asking, we provide a free training video on this because it's so important. It is. Um, matter of fact, um, if your guests want to go to it, they can always go to our, our website at rmcfree.com. That's okay. not our regular website. That's the website that we give the video away. Okay. We, every man needs to have it. It's okay. rmcfree.com. Dot com. Everybody like free, so they can get a free video. But I'm going to cover what's in the video. So for some reason, they don't go get the video because it comes in okay. a lot more deep than I can go right now. All right. So they can go find out more, but I'll at least whet their appetite about what the video includes. So even if they don't get a chance to get to it, this is what they need to know. Okay. Five things. Five. And these five things are not something that I made up, Pop. This is from the life of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ never hit, quote, rock bottom, 
But the Bible tells us that there's nothing that we're enduring that he cannot relate to. So okay. even you being on that, that street in Brooklyn, you know, right. me being at rock bottom, God, Jesus saying, I can relate. Really, Jesus, you never, you know, you didn't drink. Jesus, right. you didn't have sex with women. But he says, no, the feeling when you feel that, wow, everybody's abandoned me. How right. did I get here? Right. Jesus had that experience. He understands those feelings behind it, not right. the experience, right. but the emotions behind it. So, but the, I learned from Jesus from watching his life. But I also noticed that every man who has a comeback story and right. built now, Pop, you're gonna think that when I tell you this, you're right. gonna say, How did he know? You gonna say, He's exactly right. That's exactly I had those things. Okay. No, Jesus, we plagiarized it. Jesus did it first. Amen. All right. All right. <laughs> but all we right. explained it on the video in, in detail. But here's those five things. Okay. When you get there at that moment, here's what you're gonna need. And even though everybody wants to stop at the first one, you need the others to supplement it. One is have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. Got to have it. You got to have it. He is your savior. You're going to have to get to the point that you realize that I can't do this by myself. Remember the 12-step program? Right, right. Something more powerful than we are. Now, in the 12-step program, they don't always want to acknowledge God because they've got different religions and different faith and right. that kind of thing. But for us as believers, the men and women out there listening to this show right now, if they're believers in Jesus Christ. He is that power. He's that power. You have to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Number two, you have to get in community with other people who are moving in the same direction you're moving. Okay. Now, we all have communities, but we right. have communities who are schizophrenic with different ideas and different goals and objectives, yeah. who have right. hidden agendas right. and that kind of You need to get around a community of people who are trying to not only be sober, but knowing what they're going to do after they become sober. Right. They want to be better husbands, fathers, wives, um, okay. sisters in Christ. They have a common goal. The way, I, the way I picture it is this way. Think about right now, we have March Madness going on right now. Yes. And some of those, they got different schools and everybody's come from different places. Some were five-star recruits, some four-star recruits. Some came from little towns. Some came from big towns. Some came from, um, you know, great coaching programs, big high school, small high school, different diverse backgrounds, right? What are they all trying to achieve? The NCAA championship. Right, correct. So we all are trying, you got to be around a community of people who can relate and understand that, hey, I want to get sober too. I want to get back on the right path, that they're all moving in the same direction, even if they came from different places. And so you got to have a community. Now, Jesus had that. Now, we know Jesus had a perfect relationship with the Father. That's the Christ component. We know that Jesus had his disciples. That's the community component. Different backgrounds, but they're all trying to get to the same place. But even within that community, this is what we miss. We need an inner circle of people. Mm. An inner circle. Jesus had it even with the disciples. It was three guys who Jesus hung around with the most. Do you remember who they were? Peter, James, and John. Okay, yeah. Remember, they were Jesus at his best, Jesus at his worst. Right. Special moments in Jesus' life. Was Jesus showing favoritism? Jesus was sending us a message that even in your community, there got to be those people that you can call at 3 a.m., bro, I'm in jail. Yeah. (laughs) And you not judge me, not condemn me. Now, I can go to my church and they say they love me. But yeah. if I tell them I got same sex attraction right, or yeah. I'm, I'm not looking at little kids, yeah. not everybody going to look at me the same, Pop. Right, 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 right. But right. guess what? There's going to be those few men or hopefully women, too, who will come and put their arm around me and say, hey, can I pray for you? Right. Hey, I'm here for you. No, you don't have to leave this church. We all need an inner circle. Correct. People. 
This is how we bounce back. Yes. Then we also need to have some type of coach or mentor who right. will pour into us. Somebody who's a little bit ahead of you. I'm sure along the way, Pop, somebody in your life who had dealt with addiction or alcohol addiction poured into you yes. and said, hey, man, this is what it's been like for me, who was a little bit sober longer than you have. Right. Correct. And we all need that person. Paul had um, Timothy had Paul. Elisha had Elijah. All this stuff is from the Bible. Yes. Um, 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 Joshua had Moses. Mm-hmm. Lot had Abraham. Peter, John and James had Jesus. Yes. Everybody has to have somebody pouring into them. Jesus had the father pouring into him. Amen. We need a coach. We need a mentor. Nobody can succeed without one. And last but certainly not least, and we don't want to hear this, the dreaded word, the C word, counseling. Counseling. Hey. hey. We got to get counseling for our trauma. Right, right. Because you saw what happened to me when I tried to ignore it and try to outrun it. Right. And we try to bury it. And yes. the worst thing about trying to bury your trauma, if you're going to bury something, make sure it's dead. Correct. Because if you bury it and that thing is still alive, it's going to be like a zombie movie. They're still putting their hand through the dirt. Hey, yeah. that thing's coming after me. Coming after you better me. make sure you kill it if you're going to bury it. Correct. And so it has to be dead. But we don't want to have to deal with our counseling because we think it sends a message that we're crazy. Right. But really, it sends another message that you're courageous. Amen. That you're courageous enough to say, you know what? I need help. And how is this even biblical? He said, Jesus had this too. Remember when Jesus left his disciples? He says, I must leave because they didn't want him to leave. He says, I must leave because I need to send. There's another that I'm going to send to you. You you want me to leave. Right. Because when I send you this helper. Right. The comforter. This guide, this comforter, this counselor. Yes. It will lead and guide you in all spirit and in truth. Now, he was sending us a spiritual counselor. But guess what? Jesus left and went back to the spirit realm. We're still living in the what? Flesh. Right. So now we have a spiritual counselor in the Holy Spirit. We also need a professional counselor to deal with this flesh. That's right. Not only understand what we did, but why we did it. Correct. And that's all they can help you do. They can't solve your problem, but they can help you understand why you are not just what you did. Correct. So that's kind of nutshell those five things. And that was the thing that turned everything around. I love that. That's so amazing. Oh, my God. The counseling part. We always talk about the trauma as um, un- unprocessed emotions. They have this new theory that the, um, the body keeps the score. So a lot of that gets stuck in the body. Mm-hmm. It manifests as illness. It manifests as pain. The loss to grief. It changes the brain and creates mental health issues. So I'm a big proponent for that. I, I had therapy and counseling that was really pivotal parts of my story um you have this and see uh, i didn't even and see i told you i didn't even know that about because that's the that's the common thread right. in anybody who's now sober right. that they had those components some uh, some higher power they had a community of people around them they had an inner circle of people they really 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 could trust right. they had somebody pouring into them and they had somebody helping them deal with their junk there's no okay. way around it you got to right. do it. The fact that the problem is we can know what to do, but we don't know how to do it. That's why in the video, it shows you now how to do those components, each of those components. What do we do with someone that's on a fence? They're not Christian or they're on the fence about Christ or they're right. on the fence about God in general. There's this... Um, split in the community in the addiction community and i think the trauma community too especially some people's pain move them further away from the concept of god right right so they're like i i want to get i want to be in recovery but i don't want to deal with god i don't want to talk about god how do we deal with that situation what recommendation can we make 
And because we have to we have to be realistic. Yeah, there's people who don't believe in a higher power. They don't believe they don't have that faith. And that's fine, too. My thing is, at least even if you don't think that is necessary, you still need community because we're still relational human beings. You have to live here on this earth. You can't. Let's put it this way. Even a person who doesn't have faith, you can't do it alone. Let me summarize it that way. That'd be the easiest way to explain it. You need help. You may not go to, quote, God or some higher power, but I can guarantee you one thing. You're not going to do this by yourself. Nobody has done it, figured it out yet. You won't be the first or you'll be a billionaire because you'll make a lot of money from selling how you did it that way. Because that's the easiest way. That'll be the easiest path to least resistance, not depending on anybody for help. And nobody has done. I have not. I've done over 500 episodes on my show. Right. And I haven't met a person yet with a comeback story who said they did it by themselves. Correct. Correct. And I'll put it in perspective, especially because, you know, we got men and women, but especially for the guys who are usually more stubborn about this. Right. But I'll tell this for the guys. Think about this. You know, this in the history of mankind. Forget God. Let's get God right. out of this. OK. What man or woman or woman has ever won a world championship in any sport in the world without a coach? I'll wait. Yeah. Tell me. No, I don't have nobody. No one. And so do you actually pop? Do you know there's people out there listening who actually think they're going to be the first? (laughs) They want to be champion husbands, wives and moms and dads and everything. And they're thinking, but I can do this by myself. You're crazy. Right. No one in the history of mankind in sports ever did it. Michael Jordan is debatably the best basketball player on the planet who's ever laced him up. He had Phil Jackson. Come on right. now. Right. I LeBron think, James is one on different teams, but he always had a coach. Yeah. Yeah. I, I And you know what I think that people's problems are when it comes to that? It's forgiveness. They've been burnt so much in the past. Yeah. yeah. They don't have the ability to forgive themselves, but they find it really hard to trust new people. So they yes. figure I'm going to do this by myself. And you have to have a little faith there, ladies and gentlemen, if you're out there and you're struggling. I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, hey, I, I, I took a leap. I forgave a lot of people. I used yeah, to have strong resentments towards people yeah. when I was drinking. And I and I thought, I said, you know what, man, you probably played a bigger role in that conflict because you probably was drunk. You wasn't thinking straight. You mm-hmm. have to let that go and start to rebuild or rekindle what you can um, and exercise forgiveness. But first, you have to forgive yourself. That's right. the, my number one thing. Forgive yourself first before you try to make amends with others, because that's the only way you can really start a great foundation of healing. Um, and I learned that with going to God. I went to God. I felt crappy. And I felt like God, the first thing God said is, that it's OK. You surrendered. Now cut yourself some slack so we could do the work, but you have right. to stay here. Um, you was going to say something? Let's see, Pop. Yeah, because but you're, that, you hit it right there on the head. You were talking about what about the people who don't believe in God? More power to you. I, I wouldn't have been able to forgive the people that I forgave without God. And how were we able to do this? What, what, what's God got to do with you forgiving people? God's the story of his son. It was because I understood of what I was forgiven for by him that would allow me to be able to share that same grace and mercy, like you said, to myself first and be able to give it to other people. But so that person who can do without God, I'm not, I'm not a hater. Wow. That's amazing. I don't see how you can, because I had so much hate and anger. I was, I was raped for three years, dude, three years. You going to tell me I'm going to get there without God. How? Because I know I wanted to kill that dude. But God told me I had to not only forgive him, but to pray for him. 
Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's crazy talk. But yeah. guess what? When I did it, <clears throat> I was released from my prison. Right. And it allowed me to forgive myself and to forgive others. Man, you're talking about, I'm, a, I'm one, of probably one of the most forgiving brothers you will ever meet. And they say, how come you forgive so easily? So Because I was forgiven much myself. Amen. Amen. And it's because of that. So I, I pray for the people who don't know God and don't have God in their life. I, I pray that they at least get into a community. But I'm telling you, if they got to do the healing process of forgiveness, I just don't see how they get there without God until they see a model of forgiveness it's a lot to overcome. That's a lot to overcome. It is forget. a lot. Mm-hmm. It is a lot. Um, in wrapping up, um, I think it's really, and I know this might be redundant, but I want to kind of say it for people who experience sexual abuse and trauma mm-hmm. um, that's out there. I mean, you have so much wisdom. What advice can you give them in general? And, and that may even be going through it now. Right. Um, how do we, deal with that because we have the sex trafficking going on. Mm-hmm. We have the what's happening in the Catholic church and in the church, what's happening with the boy scouts. It's all of these things, especially with um, young men and young women and kids that grow up to be really broken adults. I mean, I'm sorry to be throwing the loaded questions at you. No, no, no. That, that, I think that's a, an excellent question to close with as well. Um, I will share with you a quick story. My son, who's now 24, um, I had to tell him about my abuse. This is after the divorce from his mom and his mom and I talked about it. Cause I finally told her what happened. Cause you think, why would he do all this stuff to me? Yeah. What happened? What you, you, you weren't that way. And then she heard about, she, I never told her about my abuse. And so she said, you got to tell, tell Kendall, my son. So you got to tell him, I said, I'm going to tell him, but I was so scared and so nervous to tell him, but I knew the right time. I said, God would show me the right time to tell my son the truth about all this stuff. And the right time was when he asked me a question about Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay. And so back in the day. And so I told him what happened. My son broke down crying and he was just in tears. And he says, uh, dad, why didn't you tell somebody? And I told my son, if there's one thing I could go back and change in my life, it wouldn't have been me sleeping around on his mom. It wouldn't have been stopping the abuse of my abuser in which my son was shocked to hear that. It wouldn't have been uh, the divorce. I said, if I can go back and do one thing different, this is my advice I'm giving to the listeners out there. I would go back to that 12-year-old and say, open your mouth and tell somebody. Please don't keep this to yourself because if you do, it's going to kill you, but you're going to still be breathing. Please. You can't trust everybody, but you're going to have to trust somebody. This thing is going to haunt you and eat you alive. And no matter what you do, it's going to be like some scare, like Jason in a scary movie that you're going to be looking around every corner thinking it's going to jump out at you. So my advice that it's not going to fix everything, but it's going to start the healing pop. When you open up your mouth, God would only choose to heal what we reveal, not what we conceal. He's not obligated to deliver us or help us if we're not ready to open our mouths in humility and brokenness and say, God, Help me. I need help. And he's going to say it's going to start with you have to tell somebody. And if I could go back and my son said, but dad, why wouldn't you just stop the abuse if you can go back and change things? I said, because you can't you can't stop and determine what somebody else is going to do. Because people are going to do what they're going to do regardless. But you do have a choice in how you're going to respond after they do it. I told my son at nine, I said, do you understand? I'm telling you about this. I can't stop you from being abused. 
Because I'm not around you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. I said, but I'm telling you that if it does, it's not the worst thing in the world. If you're still breathing. If you're still breathing. But you have to tell somebody. I say, so Kendall, if you don't do anything else, I say, God forbid this happens to you. But if you do, what do you need to do? He says, I need to tell you or mommy. I say, absolutely. You got to open up your mouth, son. We'll help you from that point forward. But if you don't, I said, this will wreak havoc in the rest of your life. I said, if it wasn't for that, we'd still be a family. If me opening my mouth, because I couldn't stop what had already happened to me, but I didn't open up my mouth about it. I should have told your mom when we were dating. I should have told somebody at my school. I should have told my own mother. I should have told somebody, and I did not held on it for 19 years, Pop. Wow. 19 years, and it cost me more than 19 years. Yeah, yeah. 19 years. So that's what I would tell for the person out there. Please. That's why community, connection, coaching, counseling is important. You have to be able to relate to other people. Otherwise, you're going to isolate yourself, withdraw and hide. And what you refuse to speak the truth about, the enemy is going to use it to lie to you about. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. Nobody will ever want you. They're going to blame you. You're going to get in trouble. Everybody's going to hate you. They're going to look at you funny. That's from the enemy. But once you open up your mouth, the enemy has to shut up. Because there's power in your word. There's power in your tongue. There's life and death in your tongue. But you got to open up your mouth to say something. Wow. Dr. Joe, thank you. And God bless everyone out there that's struggling with this. And if the first person you tell don't believe you, find a second person. That's right. right? Don't don't stop there. Don't stop. That's that right, keep, Pop. Right. Keep going. Keep going. Because um, you can't trust everybody, but you have to trust somebody. You're going to have to trust somebody. <laughs> I'm going to trust yeah. someone. Um, can you tell everyone where they can find you? And, and uh, first of all, Dr. Joe, thank this has been one. Uh, we could, we're going to have to do more episodes together. I'll, I'll reach out to Anytime, you. Anytime, Pop. I feel Anytime. so alive. I think we needed this. Let the world know where they can find you. Well, they can find us at realmenconnect.com. And if they, you know, we have a, a podcast as well, which is the top, one of the top rated podcasts, if not the top rated podcast on Apple Podcasts for Christian men. But like I said, if they really um, want to deal with their situation, if they're struggling, go to rmcfree.com. That 30 minute video could be life changing for you when you see how it's broken down and what you need to do to get the help that you need. I didn't know it took me, I guess, over a course of about 15 years to understand those five. Right. And you're getting it in 30 minutes right. of what it took me that many years to discover. And it was in God's word the whole time. And I didn't even see it. I didn't see it. But that could be the lighted inner tunnel that changes everything. Because we've watched it change the lives of the men that we work with. I wish we worked with women, too, in our organization. But we work with men. But I know I'm going to tell the women, you're welcome. Because we're changing the lives of men right, by right. teaching them these five things. Are. I'm right. thank you in, I'm welcome, telling you welcome in advance before you even tell me thank you right. for working with the men who need this. You're, you're sending them good future good husbands, right? That's right. Future, future good, good husbands. husbands and fathers. Lastly, before we close, we talk about prayer a lot. Can we say a short prayer in closing? Would you be open to that, Dr. Joe? I would love to. I would love Okay. Oh, heavenly gracious, Father God, we thank you, Lord. I thank you for this platform that you've given Pop to be able to spread the gospel and spread the message of your love, your grace, and your mercy. A show like this, God, we know that anytime we come from addiction, that's what we are in need of most. God, we don't need justice. We don't need fairness because there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that we look back on and we say to ourselves, God, that just wasn't fair. But I don't know about you, but God, I think that me and Pop can come into agreement that we don't want justice. 
We don't want fairness. We want mercy. We want grace. And there's a lot of people out there who are listening to this show, God. They've been hiding in secrecy and struggling in silence for years and decades. And it's now spilled over to their relationships with their husband, their wives, their children, their co-workers, where they have a hard heart to not be able to trust people because they don't trust authority because they were abused by authority. They don't trust people because they were betrayed by that person who, who cheated on them. God, if they're struggling with any type of addiction, not just pornography or sexual addiction, but any addiction, God, let them find their hope and their faith in you. But more importantly, let them know that they're not what they do or what they did, but they're who they are in Jesus Christ. Let them find their identity and who they are in you. Because once they know who they are in you, it will determine their destiny. So God bless them, keep them, protect them. We ask all this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Sober is Dope podcast. I love you all. Dr. Joe, thank you so much. Go in peace. May God be with you all. And I'll catch you guys on the other side. My pleasure, Pop. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah.